0: Today, Jackie Lundy and I meet Adrian Delgado, a registered dietitian from Philadelphia, and we talk about nutrition in midlife. Is there a simple magic diet? And how important is mindset? Welcome to episode three of Back Down the Hill. Okay, so welcome to episode three of Back Down the Hill. And today I'm joined by my guest Jackie Lundy in New York and Adrian Delgado, who is in Philadelphia, yeah, Yeah. area. Um, Adrian is a nutritionist. And in midlife, of course, diet, nutrition and exercise, often very moot points, often the things that uh, we struggle a great deal with. And I'm no exception to that. And so I'm delighted to have Adrian here, and Jackie, of course, uh, to discuss this issue and explore some of the uh, challenges that we all face. So, Adrian, welcome. You do a podcast primarily uh, online, apart from your business, uh, which is known as Nourish, Eat, Repeat, which I like. Now, I've you know, I've engaged with that and listened to some of the episodes. I I have noticed that you had a YouTube channel up until about June and in June it went mysteriously quiet, but I I see that (laughs) that coincided with the launch of the podcast. So I'm presuming that was the, the reason you kind of made a changeover. Um, Is that about right?
1: Um, You know what? Uh, Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I don't know if it was a conscious shift to change from my YouTube channel to the podcast. I think um, my, um, I was trying to go in one direction and then, you know, obviously the pandemic uh, had to, our company shifted. Uh, I started to think, you know what, maybe I need to go in a different direction. Um, And the podcast was birthed from that. So I think it was just, I don't think it was intentional to let the YouTube channel go. It was more of just my, my efforts and time shifted. And eventually, obviously, I want to pick all that stuff back up again. But I'm only able to focus on one thing at a time, or I should say, I'm only able to do that well, one thing at a time. So um, that's kind of where I landed with it. Right. But it's been a lot of fun doing it. And um, I'm really enjoying it.
0: Okay. So this... Um... This, this proposition, Nourish, Eat, Repeat, it was a book that you wrote as well, and initially at least you used that as a sort of a, a guide, an episode guide almost, of how you were going to go forward with the podcast, and then I can see that the podcast sort of branched out into other natural, organically achieved areas um, of discussion and of advice. Now, I'm fascinated by this because I've taken some time to look at uh, other people who speak authoritatively about the things that I face. I've got type 2 diabetes. Many people in in middle age have. I cope with that, with um, pretty much sticking to a keto diet, something that I want to come back to and ask you about. Um, But I did listen to a speaker who may well be quite famous over there in America, probably unheard of over here, and her name is Liz Josephsberg. Um, And she has like a program that seems to be quite popular where she talks about the reasons why we veer off diets and dieting. And I very much related to that. So to give you like an actual example, say, for example, I'm sticking rigidly and I can do this to um, the plan that I've made for myself. It only takes one um, failure to get me off track again and she says this she says like like, for example in my case I could say be sticking to this diet and then just have one chocolate covered almond thin and my brain will say to me you've failed now you can eat the whole packet and (laughs) I you know and I, I would do that probably and then feel momentarily better about it. And she says that that's because the moment you identify the fact that you're going to fail like that, your brain um, actually activates its reward center and wants more of that in order to feel better. And that's why you go ahead and behave so irrationally. Now, when I look at nourish, eat, repeat, I see a big similarity there. I see that your angle is... I'm coming in on diet and perhaps exercise because that's where I start. That's where I have to start, but I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to, it's, it's a lot more than that, isn't it? The mindset side is yeah. very, very much a part of what you want to talk about, isn't it? So hearing what I've said, tell me something about that.
1: Yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head right there. Um, a lot of us have been conditioned as to what diet culture looks like, feels like what we must be engaged with. It's what we've always known. It's the the only thing we've known. So all we know what to do when it comes to weight loss or whether it comes to figuring out how to eat because of a a health condition is you follow the rules, you, you do the work, you do what you're supposed to do and everything will be okay. But don't you dare try to go off track because then you fail. And so we, the diet culture has created such an industry that we need to create some confusion and we need you to depend on us for the answers. And in order to have more motivation and more willpower and you know, you have to do it exactly as we say it, we will promise you results, but you can't mess up. Otherwise that's on you and we realize that, so we, be, we create all these rules where I have to be perfect. And I, I say it, it becomes claustrophobic almost because we start making a whole bunch of rules. Don't eat after this time, because we heard somewhere that you have to do intermittent fasting and don't eat carbs because carbs make you fat and don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And before, and we want rules because we like boundaries, right? Just tell me what to do and what not to do and I'll do it. But if it becomes too claustrophobic, It's our natural reaction to rebel. And I always tell people that um, we do not want to become so resentful when it comes to our diet that we become rebellious. Those are two very dangerous words when it comes to our diet resentful and rebellious. And so, what I like to teach is a lot of mindset work because I think we're under the impression, you know what, let me just follow the rules. Let me do everything I'm supposed to do. Let me get down to my goal weight. Let me get down to my goal blood sugar, whatever it is that we're talking about. And then I'll work on changing my mindset. Then I'll do the, the hard work, but let me get to that point first. And the problem is we're never going to get to that point unless we work on mindset on our journey. Mm-hmm. We can't work on the mindset afterwards. That's not how this works because you're never going to get there because you're going to quit before you get there if yeah.
0: that makes sense yeah it totally makes sense and where do you think are the the principal obstacles there because i imagine people arrive with you and in your your uh, classes i'm i'm guessing that the, the classes aren't in uh, as they used to be thanks to covid but um what is the principal obstacle in terms of mindset from day one,
1: um, I think it's disabling those truths that they have in their head and showing them another way. Like they think it has to look this way in order for me to be successful. I have to do this and do this and do this, and I have to present another option. You know, number one is get you know connecting them to their why. Why are you doing this? Mm, right, we yeah. we. Like I had a, a lady the other day who was really struggling with some disordered eating patterns. And she's like, I just don't understand. I do my affirmations every day. I say them like you are worthy. You, and she does like all the things that she's heard she should do. And I told her, I'm like, how about instead of just saying you are worthy, why don't you write Why? Why don't you connect that affirmation to something that you believe? This isn't a fake it till you make it moment. This is a really hone down, figure out what do you want to accomplish? Why do you want to do that? And that why is so important because when you're in a moment, like I say, um, you know, when it's eight o'clock at night and you want chocolate, right? Before, if you don't have a, a really good why that you connect to, When you say, I want chocolate, you think that's the only option available. I want chocolate. I'm going to eat chocolate because I want it, right? Sometimes we act like three-year-olds. I want it. I want the chocolate. I should have it. I had a bad day,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? If you don't have a strong why in that moment, that's going to look like the only option available to you is to eat it. Or to sit there and be like, don't eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it. And eventually your brain is going to be like, eat it, eat it, eat it. Because the more you think about it, the more you want it. Connecting to your why, you know, because I want to get on the floor with my grandchildren, because I want to take that trip that my spouse and I have been talking about for years now. And I actually want to enjoy it and not have to sit down or go back to the hotel room because I'm so tired right? Connecting to your why, all of a sudden, when you're in that moment of, I want chocolate, another option comes to the table. Now, I'm not saying you're- That's
0: a great dietitian pun there. Another option comes to the table. Yeah, well done. I just want to interrupt you there. We'll we'll go back to this, but Jackie, this mindset stuff, it sounds awfully familiar, don't you think? because we talk about it in terms of almost everything. We're talking to people about business and about the future and about a lifestyle that maybe they want to adopt. And it's the same stuff, isn't it? What do you think, Jackie?
2: It definitely is. Hi, Adrian. It's so nice to meet you and thank you Noel for including me in um, this discussion. I do love all things nutrition and I've actually Learned over the years, as it's it's it is my passion, right? Because I believe that health comes first above all, right? You, You you wake up in the morning, you feel a certain way, and it can definitely you know affect everything you do for the rest of the day, right? So there's a combination of mindset and education. I think nutrition education is 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 important, and I think that's what a lot of people have skipped in life is to really understand what they're putting in their mouth and habits are huge. So this is where the mindset comes in, where we just get up out of habit, you know, and we flow through our day and habitually we say, oh, you know, I need a, well, we wake up in the morning, I need a coffee and it's like, you know, and then mindlessly thinking, I'm, I'm just gonna grab this. I'm very busy. I don't have time, you know, and I think and then certain things that happen through the day triggers you and makes you believe, oh, I, I need a burger, you know? Oh my, go- I comfort food, I need comfort food. We, we put all, we attach all these things that are happening in our life to the choices of what we eat. And then never stopping and realizing, wait a minute, what am I actually eating and why am I eating this? Right, and I think we all have the ability to, to stop and decide, I would like to change the things, you know, how I get triggered. Notice why am I making this particular choice right now? And is it going to benefit me? You know, how am I going to feel? Cause physically it affects us I, as a person in their mid fifties. I realize I can't eat like how I used to eat when I was 20. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's, it's terrible. It could ruin the rest of my day if I think I can continue to eat the way I was when I was 20. So as much as I think pizza is fun and you know pasta is fun, I really say, oh my gosh, it really affects me negatively and I and I have to accept that you know but there's so many good foods to eat, you know that I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything and I actually feel like when I when I am hungry and I know what I have to do, Right, I'm running a business. You know, I have meetings. I have to have conversations of substance with people. I want to be at my best, so I also think ahead and make sure what's in my house is going to be beneficial to keep me energetic, clear. You know, excited about what I'm doing. So, um, mindset, I believe, is really important. You have to implement good habits, good thinking habits. Think ahead, right? Don't bring those foods into your house in the first place when you know it's not going to make you feel at your best.
0: How can we interrupt those urges, those challenging urges? I mean, Adrian, do you teach a practical technique on that?
1: So... There's, that's a layered question. So there's a lot of different ways we can approach that. Um, Jackie, just like you said, we have to be um, mindful of it, and we have to set ourselves up for success, right? Because if you know you struggle with cookies, buying cookies just and keeping them in the house, and a lot of times, um, I know my clients, they use the excuse of their kids. Oh, well, I buy them because my my for my kids. I'm like, really? Because they're your favorite cookie? Are they your kids' favorite <laughs> cookie too? Because I feel like we're just justifying buying the cookies. Um, but part of it is understanding your habits, understanding, because we assume we know. So one of the things I wanted to take note of, well, and I will come back to that question, um, Jackie's mentioned, you know, I have to, you know, figure out when I'm hungry that I, you know, what to eat because I have the right things available. The number one thing that I work on with my clients, visit one. All right. I. I don't go deep down into how much carbs or proteins they need. The very first thing that we talk about in my visits with my clients is what is your hunger signal? Because nine out of 10 people will just assume it's a growling stomach. And so I tell them, if you don't know what you're looking for, if you don't know how your body communicates hunger to you, it's going to be really hard to figure out when to eat and when not to eat. So we've got to get 100% crystal clear that you know exactly what are your early hunger cues, what are your late hunger cues. Because if you want to do this nutrition thing long-term, and we know that nutrition is a long game, it's not a short game, it's not just something we do for a finite time and then we don't worry about it ever again, that's called yo-yo dieting. If we really want to be successful and have that long-term success, we have got to learn how to dial in and figure out what our body is telling us. Because it will tell us exactly what it needs. The problem is, is we let this get in the way, and we tell ourselves what we need. No, you need one cup of, of uh, brown rice. And I always tell people, you know, when you're you don't know what to do, you're starting out. You put a quarter of your plate protein. Okay. So when you're trying to figure out um, how much should you eat, this is your starting point. You start out with a quarter of your plate protein. So the size of the palm of your hand and the thickness. If you got big hands, congratulations, you get more protein, right? It's proportionate to you. you. You know, so it's about a quarter of your plate. Make a fist. That's how much whole grain starch you should have. Brown rice or brown pasta, sweet potatoes, all that those good, healthy uh, high fiber carbs. That goes in a quarter of your plate. And then half your plate should be two empty palms, right, of vegetables. That's not your that's not your end point. That's your starting point. That's where you start. And then you eat and you let your stomach guide you to the point of where you're comfortable and you're ready to move on. But a lot of us get stuck because all we know is I have to only eat this much. I have to eat a half a cup. I have to do a cup of this. And when you start to not trust your body to tell you what it needs. That's when it creates poor relationships with food, it creates poor body image, and it puts you on a spiral of thinking, I can't do this unless I double down and try harder, have more motivation. You see how it kind of sets you up. So your question of, you know, how do I work with those urges? Number one is first we need to identify when are they happening, And we have to look at the root cause of them. So many of my clients eat the majority of their calories at night, whether it's on purpose or it's because they haven't fueled themselves well enough during the day because they were too busy, too distracted. And it, you know, it finally catches up with them. A lot of my clients that are looking for weight loss in particular, you know, they have this illusion of, I want to be good today. And so I'm going to eat really small and I'm going to eat a, you know, a salad with grilled chicken on it. And then by the time evening comes around, they're famished and they want to, they identify the problem as I overeat at night. So therefore I need to take away the foods at night and then I'll be successful. And I tell them, this is not, this is yes, a problem, but taking this away is not going to get you to your goal. We have to address the fact that you're eating nothing during the day. That's the root cause of the extreme hunger at night. So your question was, how do we deal with urges? Well, first of all, we have to look at the big picture. Are you fueling yourself well? How are you fueling yourself? What is the story you're telling yourself? And are you truly hungry? Because the majority of us, when we feel emotional, when we're stressed out, we're anxious, even, you know, I wouldn't say fatigue goes in this category as much, but just dealing with all the events of the day that emotion typically presents itself somewhere. I know you can't see me here, so I'm gonna back up. Um, from the chest to the neck. An emotion that needs to be expressed because you haven't dealt with it during the day, usually surfaces in the evening when we get quiet, when we get still. It's like, oh good, finally I can come to the surface and she can deal with me because she pushed me aside all day, or he. Right. And so it typically presents itself as a rattling right here in this region. But if you assume that hunger is any sensation from the neck to the stomach, nine times out of 10, you're going to be guessing wrong. And you're going to think this is hunger. I need to do something about it. And here's the deal. When you eat for an emotion, it works. It stops the rattling. That's why we do it. Because it works. If it didn't work, we wouldn't do it. We would find another coping strategy.
0: And so how do you you intervene? Because that's the crucial moment, right? Yeah. You need to recognize it and be able to intervene. So how do you do that?
1: So step one is to figure out what is your hunger signal, right? How does your body communicate hunger? My body does not communicate hunger through a growling stomach. So if I'm waiting for a growling stomach, I'm going to be waiting a long time. My body gives me different cues. So number one, we have to know how our body communicates hunger to us so we can ask ourselves that million dollar question, am I hungry when I want to eat? Because if the answer is yes, I'm getting that signal, then we're eating. It's very simple. Take the drama out of it, right? I'm getting a hunger signal. My body says I need to eat, my blood sugar is too low, or you know, I've gone too long without eating. Yeah, then absolutely you're gonna go eat. But if you're not getting that signal and you just want it because you do, that's where you have to start doing some investigative work and figure out what emotion am I feeling? So I already, sh- I, um, I shared this story, I think before my, um, I was walking to the bus stop with my daughter. I have twin girls, they're nine at this point, but it was about two years ago. And we walked down our driveway, we walked the, you know, 25 feet to the bus stop. And my one daughter says, mom, I'm bored. I'm like, what? How can you be bored? We just walked out of the door and and just walked to the bus stop. We didn't even go anywhere. How can you be bored? She's like, I don't know. I'm bored. And all of a sudden, I had this light bulb moment. I said, you know what? Her name's Bella. Bella, what does boredom feel like in your body? And so when you ask a seven-year-old, what does boredom feel like in their body? What do they do? They look at their body for the answer. She physically did a body scan. She looked at her legs. She looked at her torso. She's like, "Hmm, it feels tired. And I said, you know what? That's interesting, Bella. How else does boredom feel like in your body? And she looked down again and she's like, it feels lazy. And I said, okay. I'm like, well, to me, when I'm bored, I feel restless. I feel like an energy that needs to come out like I try to focus on something but it doesn't keep my attention my mind always reverts to something else um now do I live in her body is that how boredom presents itself to her I think she was you know um describing fatigue I think she was tired because feelings of tired and laziness and heaviness sometimes feel more fatigue than I would say boredom So I think she was mislabeling. She's seven. That's what, you know, she doesn't have the vocabulary and the mindset to- You can forgive her
0: for that, I think. I
1: can forgive her. We moved on, right? (laughs) However, my thought was, what if I can teach my seven-year-old to figure out how different emotions communicate in her body so she doesn't become a 50-year-old eating through them? We don't know how our body communicates with us because we've never- we've never sat still enough to figure it out. Hmm. If we don't know what hunger feels like for sure. We don't know what boredom feels like sure. because anything uncomfortable, we immediately want to move away from. Hmm. And what if we learned how to feel uncomfortable? So we know what the right course of action is. Yeah. That's why I said it was a loaded question. No, I told yeah. you it was. Well, I
0: mean, I, I, <laughs> I figure, I I just see how this just runs through life, quite honestly. I mean, you're talking about a seven-year-old getting a little bit of insight and awareness into the way that they're thinking about, the way that they feel. And it's not until we reach that point of actually asking those questions or having someone else prompt us to ask those questions that we're going to be in any way equipped to take them on. So, I mean... Jackie, you you used to be a fitness nut, it's safe to say. You've said that to me yourself. And I know that you're off out around Central Park most mornings doing something because I've seen the pictures on Instagram, so there is evidence. But how has that changed for you in the, uh, let's say, in the last 10 years? Well, you
2: know, I, I think... Um... It's changed because of, of lifestyle and um, priorities, or so called priorities. But um, it's funny, I've come full circle, and I think a lot of people do this, where we change up things that we know we should do for ourselves, and put something else as the priority, like our our work, our jobs, our children, and we say, I have to do, I have to take care of them first. When in actuality, we need to take care of ourselves first, so that we can be our best to do everything else. You know, give our best selves to everybody else. Um, and it's so funny, you know, so many things came to mind, Adrian, when you were talking, and I was thinking about, you know, um, beliefs and why people, you know, what what plays into the reasons why people flow through their day, making certain food choices. You know, some. You know, some people believe in three meals a day. Some people believe in three square meals, whatever that means. And I have to eat three meals a day and snacks and I need this and I need that. I'm supposed to eat all this stuff, right? And, you know, a lot of it that we learned when we were younger or, you know, whatever the trend was or what was in style as far as making food choices, you know, we've come to learn a lot more about our bodies and the foods and the choices that we make and the sources that are available because, you know, a big majority of the food industry is based on profits and not on nutrition, you know? So there's so much that that we can learn and understand to help us to make better decisions, you know, as as it goes along with our actual lifestyle, because everybody doesn't have the same lifestyle, you know? So these are the things that I've learned, you know, over the past 10 years that are significantly important in my opinion and also making choices for your family, right? So some people think a young child is okay to eat, you know, fast food. It's okay, you're young, it doesn't matter. You know, not realizing that you never know, that could be a problem 10, 20, 30 years later, the fact that you told your child it's okay for you to eat this stuff. And, you know, you know, some some people attribute, you know, those times when they're feeling stressed oh, I wanna eat my favorite food that I always loved, you know, since I was a young child, you know, and just keep, it's like their little um, comfort blanket or something, you know, this makes me feel, I always remember that this used to comfort me and make me feel good. So it's association, you know, it's just continuing things that you, where I, you know, I go back to the necessity that I think we owe ourselves of learning, learning, you know, am I really giving myself the best that I can give myself? And, you know, that's where I'm at now, where I actually stopped and thought, just because you're in your 50s doesn't mean you're, you get, you're supposed to slow down. I, it's all related to what you're eating and what you're doing, what you're consuming, both in your mind and your body, right? That's where your energy and your desire to keep doing exciting things with your life, that that's where it ties in. You cannot discount what you eat and want to still live a very full energetic life into your fifties, your sixties, your seventies. You need to keep caring about how you take care of yourself.
0: Yeah. Um, and now I just I just want to sorry to, to butt in again. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to move it on to um, things to how you should eat and perhaps even what you should eat, not in in great scientific detail because there is a ton of agreement and disagreement on that i'm just going to tell you some things that i keep with me so a few years ago i did an exercise program believe it or not uh online and i joined the program of a a chap another american guy called vince del monte um now the one thing that he said that stuck with me is about what he was constantly asked what are the best foods and his advice was the best foods are foods with one ingredient. And that's kind of always stuck with me because what he means by that is if you're unwrapping it, unsealing it, opening it up or anything like that, it's probably not, not a good food. So a lettuce is a lettuce. A steak is a steak. That's a good food, food source. And I still think that's probably a fairly reasonable piece of advice as a diabetic. You, when you start looking into that, you just, you get all kinds of advice. Um, there's health advice in in official health advice in the UK, uh, which is pretty much around a balanced diet and some exercise. And then there are other things that people are using, like keto, which uh, there are many people and advisors think that is the answer to to type. To diabetes but others that say no it was invented for kids with um, epilepsy and and that's all it's good for and then there is paleo which is kind of like a keto diet but but a little more um, a little less rigid in what you can eat there are carbs in there that keto would forbid and then there's intermittent fasting which is another one that's Uh, thought to be to have great benefits for people and I see a lot more about that in the last 12 months than almost anything else now as a registered dietitian what are you going to tell me about that one last thing is I've pretty much stuck with keto um, throughout and the only reason is I don't find it an exciting interesting diet as much as I've tried to create the time for it and as much as I've tried to create variety within it The only thing I know about it is that I feel well when I'm on it and I feel more energetic, less foggy. That's what I've noticed. Um, What are your thoughts on all of that?
1: Okay, so I am a firm believer there are a hundred different ways to get you to your goal. So I do not believe there is a one-size-fits-all. A couple things that I would say with that. I always tell people what gets you there, keeps you there. So whatever diet you decide you want to pursue, um, I do want you to always ask yourself this question. Can I see myself doing this five years from now? If the answer is no, then I will please beg you not to start something you have no intention of finishing because what gets you there keeps you there.
0: That's good advice. I I could do nothing but support that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're not going to get there get your results and then go back to your old way of eating you're going to get your old results then so you have to make sure you like what you're doing and it's working and it's sustainable if that's keto if that's paleo if that's intermittent fasting okay okay so that's number one number two is is it safe for your body some people i I share the story a quick story i had a couple i call them the keto couple they came in, they were both, um, they were in their early 60s. Uh, he was, um, their neighbor was doing keto and recommended it for their health. They were about the same weight when they came, you know, in terms of both the, the husband and wife were about the same weight. They started keto, so they were eating the same portions, they were eating the same everything because they both figured their starting weight was the same, so we need the same amount of calories and, and the same amount of macros. And so they come in, the guy is doing fabulous. His cholesterol has come down, his lipid levels, his triglycerides, his blood sugars, he's lost 25 pounds, he's doing really, really well. Her on the other hand, She's lost five pounds and her cholesterol was almost up to 500. And I said to her, I was like, listen, I don't say this often, but you can no longer do keto. Like you have to promise me right now because the next time I see you, I will be visiting you at the hospital. I'm like, you can't. And she's like, but I don't understand. We're doing the same thing. I'm eating the exact same things as he is. Why is he getting results and I'm going in the opposite direction? And I told them, it's actually quite simple. You have different parents. That's why one of for one of you, it's working and one of you, it's not. So we can talk about these great diets that work for some people, but it is not a one size fits all. And so if keto works for you and you feel well, and you can sustain it and you're under the supervision of a doctor who's taking regular blood work to make sure your body can handle it. Okay. Hmm. Who am I to tell you it's wrong if
0: you're, I just, I just wondered if as a registered dietitian, you had reasons to advise anybody not to do something, but it sounds like what you're saying is, um, you need to do what's going to work for you. Because being able to keep doing it is the most important thing, not what it is.
1: Correct. And that it's medically safe for you. Yeah. Right. So when I said there's three macronutrients, there's carbs, there's proteins and fats. Every single food you eat is made up of one or multiple one of these nutrients. If you take one of those nutrients out of your diet. So in the sake of keto, we're taking carbs out. Protein and fat must go up. It's just how it works,
0: mm, right? Usually fats, fat, in fact, with that.
1: Right, right. It's a moderate protein, higher fat. Parts of your body have to digest fat. So if you're putting a greater load on those organs that have to digest it and it's too much, it's not going to work for you. Yeah. I had a guy who was doing a high protein diet, you know, so he took out carbs, he took out fat, It was mostly protein. He was losing weight, but guess what? He got kidney stones. It was too hard for his kidney to handle the extra stress, and so we had to modify it. You know, so it's what can you sustain, but also what is medically safe for your body, because it doesn't matter if we're 150 pounds if we're tethered to you know a doctor for doctor's visits every mm. month because we got medical issues.
0: So we are all different. I mean, my other half is one of those hugely irritating people who can eat absolutely anything in any quantity and it makes no difference whatsoever. So, uh, <laughs> and I'm the opposite of that. You know, I'm one of them who will always say, I just have to look at a cookie and bonk, you know, it's, it's, it's on my, on my belly. Um, so, I mean, that's great. And I, and I think it, it, it brings us right onto, you know, what, are What's the word? Philosophy ought to be in attacking these matters. We've got to get inside our heads. We've got to understand our own eating habits. We've got to understand the reason why and when we're eating. And then we've got to come up with a plan of how we're going to do that if we want to achieve the things that we're going for. And it's the same as everything else, isn't it? Now, um, how do you think that... um, people approaching midlife do they need to do anything different do you think because i'm interested in this are there things that happen that need to be given due consideration
1: yeah and you know jackie you were mentioning early too that you know i can't eat the same way that i did when i was 20 and and it's a fact because you know with each decade that goes by we lose more and more muscle mass and our metabolism is based on our muscle mass so if you are not actively trying to Um, preserve the muscle you have, if not build, you're not going to be able to eat as many calories, because you don't have as much muscle to support it. A lot of us aren't as active, you know, we've, you know, maybe the kids are starting to move out of the house, they're going off to school. And so now you're putting a lot more effort and time into a career, which means sitting down at a computer more, you're not running around. Um, I always tell my clients that my empty nesters, are the ones that struggle the most because they've gone from cooking dinner for a family, making sure that there's a vegetable on the table because you know that's what you do when you take care of your kids. When you're an empty nester, now it's just the two of you and you're like, well, what do you want? I don't know, what do you want? I don't know, well, you wanna just go out or I have soup, I guess I could eat soup, but soup is not dinner. Soup doesn't, have, unless it's a vegetable soup, it might not have all the components of the, the lean proteins, the high fiber starches and the vegetables. So then you just start to makeshift your meals because I'm not gonna to go to all this trouble for just the two of us. Or if that one has a meeting at night, I'm not gonna make a whole meal for myself. But you would have done that if there were kids in the house, right? Because we that's my job is to provide them with healthy meals. So we start to take a back seat to our own health because it's a lot of work and it doesn't feel like the payoff is worth it in the moment. So. To answer your question, our nutrient needs definitely increase, you know, especially for women. Calcium is a big deal that we want to focus on and pay attention. Protein actually does increase as we get older, um, just because um, I, I love protein for, I have to say protein's great for longevity. It sits in your stomach a little bit longer, so it helps make you feel fuller. Um, in in response to diabetes. Most of us, our pancreases are starting to wear a little thin from years of abuse. And um, so our body isn't as um, productive at handling a lot of carbohydrates, specifically those simple carbs, which come in the form of sugars. So, you know, putting some emphasis, I always like to make sure there's a protein source at every single meal and or snack, just to make sure that we can stabilize our blood sugars better. Um, but also, you know, if you haven't been in the habit of taking a multivitamin, that would be a great option. If you're not a great eater, even if you are a great eater, it's nutrition insurance. It's not meant to, uh, replace a healthy diet. It's meant to supplement a healthy diet. Um, and then the last thing is I always try to make sure that at every meal, I include at least two different sources of produce. Um, for women, the recommendations are seven servings of produce a day. Always one up in vegetable than fruit. So for women, four vegetables, three fruits. For men, nine servings a day, five vegetables, four fruits, and that takes intention. You know, we're I like, oh yeah. I I, I can't
0: hand on heart say I've I've hit ever hit that. Yeah. Nine. Wow. Here
1: okay. you go. So yeah, just, well, and you think about it too. Energy is a big issue at this point in our lives. You know, we're starting to get tired more easily. Um, And so carbs, proteins, and fats, they are, you know, they're an energy source, right? They have energy in them. Carbs and proteins have four calories per gram. Calorie is a unit of energy. Mm -hmm. Fat have nine calories per gram. So these units, these macronutrients have energy in them, but really it's the micronutrients. It's the vitamins and minerals that act as keys and they come along and they unlock the energy from the carbs, proteins, and fats. So the more produce we can have in our diet, the more keys, the more we can unlock and the better we can feel. If you want energy, you got to eat the foods that provide it.
0: Yeah, sure. How, so I think the things that you've said and that we've discussed uh, have been excellent. How has um, the pandemic changed everything in terms of the work you do and people's attitude towards this as an issue?
1: I think we've been very fortunate. So the, my practice that I work at, um, we, because we take health insurance, A lot of health insurance have uh, provided the opportunity to do virtual learning because people don't feel comfortable coming out or, you know, when our numbers spike, they really encourage us to stay in our homes. So the virtual learning has been a godsend because it really has allowed us to continue reaching people. In some ways, it's it's actually helpful because they're in their homes and I'll be like, oh, what did you have for breakfast? What bread do you use? Hold on, I'll get it. And they go grab their bread and they bring me the label and they show me where, if they're in my office, they're like, ah, I forget the name of it. It's green or, you know, it has a green label to it. And then I have to try to guess what it is. So in some ways it's been helpful. Um, I will say a lot of people are struggling. You know, mental health is a very big issue right now. And I think initially it was like, you know what? Let's just get through this and then I'll come back and see you. And it's like, this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And, you know, it became what I call blizzard eating. I don't know. I can't speak to the weather in the UK, but, you know, Jackie, you're in the Northeast. So, you know, when there's a blizzard coming, everybody runs to the store and they get all their favorite cookies. And, you know, we're going to hunker down and we're going to eat our favorite because we're going to get snowed in. And I think that's how people originally approached this virus. Let's just, all we're going to be at home. Let's make bread and let's bake brownies because we're not going to be able to go anywhere. And people picked up some really poor eating habits along the way. And now they're trying to dig out of their hole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, in the UK, it's foul weather at this time of year. There's no doubt about it. And we've had snow. And that feeling, I think, is definitely there. That will resonate with Brits. Um, I think what's happened now is that we've gone, we've kind of crossed the line, haven't we? We all hoped it would be done with by just just in the space of 2020 didn't we and now it's just not funny anymore we we've we're getting to the point where the situation is clearly fluid and we cannot really predict when when the end is going to be and of course here in the uk we're in total complete national lockdown no going out without a good reason um i'm not sure you have the same thing over over in uh, in the states and so this has become an additional problem that people are having to cope with. However, um, we're, I think, both from pretty resilient nations and uh, we will get there get there in the end. Um, so in summary, I think in terms of the nutritional side of things, we need to refuse the excuses um, and we've got to build some credibility with ourselves in order to even get started uh, with these things. Is that what you think, Jackie? I think that's the message and it's the message on across a range of topics, not just diet, right?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, what's a term I learned this week? Ex- excusitis, right? Having an excuse mm. to do something or constantly coming back with a, well, I'm doing this because, um, and you brought up a really good point about the pandemic still lingering all this time, but I think you and I can agree and Adrian, I'm sure you do too, that the same way we, we go about deciding, you know, about a business or any other goal or plan that we're trying to achieve, you know, we, we have to not wait for conditions to be right. We have to make up our minds, set our intentions and say, well, this is what I'm doing because you know, coming back to what you said, Adrian, you're why, why are you doing this? So there are a lot of people who actually addressed their health in 2020 because they took it as a big wake up call. Like, oh, my God, I got to take better care of myself because, you know, I got a lot of plans. I have things I want to accomplish. You know, I I have children to raise. I have or grandchildren to spend time with. And in some respects, like a couple of my clients, they have great grandchildren. So, you know, there is a there are a lot of reasons why you should want to take good care of your health right? And actually consider what I'm eating every day plays a huge role in how my life is playing out before me, you know, or am I becoming a burden to my family because I'm refusing to say, I don't, I want to take better care of myself. It's a, it's a personal responsibility, really, you know, um, in my family, from when my kids were very young, I introduced them to a lot of healthy stuff. So just like even yesterday, my daughter and I ran out and we, what should we have for dinner? What should we have for dinner? And she finally, you know, she came up, let's make a quick vegetable soup. You know, there are ideas that you can come up with where you don't have to have, you know, oh my goodness, I have a menu. i have to cook in the kitchen for two hours, but you know, you can figure out ways. There's so many handy ways to just make healthier choices. And then you appreciate it because you physically feel better. Your thinking is clearer. So I just think, you know, it is mindfulness and and being, you know, caring about how you feel will do a lot for your entire lifestyle. You know, that physical feeling plays a huge, a huge presence in everything that we experience throughout our day, how we think, you know, can I do this? Am I feeling like I'm capable? You know, it all comes down to how you're thinking and how you're physically feeling. You know, so I think... um, I think if anything, everybody should feel encouraged that because the pandemic has still lasted this long, just say, so you know, when I'm went, i going to be ready. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to feel better. So I'm taking care of myself now, you know, and this is going to be how I'm going to proceed for the rest of my life. At least that's the way I see.
0: It. Well, that's, that's excellent. And I think on that note, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Adrian, thank you very, very much for joining us today. And you, Jackie, um, I am going to put a link to your podcast, Adrian, which is am- amazing. Um, and any of the contact details for you into the comment section of the video, but if you'd like to just say how people can find out more about you and be in touch, um, say so now.
1: Yeah. So but like you said, my podcast is called Nourish, Eat, Repeat. And um, we're on Instagram at BodyMetrics Health. So again, BodyMetrics is the company I work for, and um, you can get more information about our services and um, or just more information about nutrition if you'd like you know, through blogs or videos, any of those resources.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Um, that's the end of the show, and we'll see you on the next episode.
2: Thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Noel.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: back down the hill is now available on google podcasts apple podcasts and spotify and a range of other platforms you can find out what they are at anchor.fm slash pdth please like subscribe and share it helps us a lot